Welcome to the Orange Crest Community Church Podcast. Our hope is that this weekly podcast provides both encouragement and challenge as you move forward in your relationship with Jesus Christ. Thank you so much for listening. Good morning. It's good to see everybody here for worship. Welcome to uh, Orange Crest Community Church. Uh, My name is Josh, and in this series we've been looking at, called The Proven Playbook, we've been talking about how sports teams have proven practices, and so they run plays over and over, and they keep working on the best stuff that they have. Those are their go-to plays. In church life, we have some practices that we keep going back to year after year, over and over. We keep desiring to uh, practice these commands from Jesus, and really from the New Testament, in order to build a culture that would really help uh, Christ's mission move forward here. And so, uh, quick review, here are the first three go-to plays from the OCC, that's uh, our church, our playbook. Practice number one is put the goals and interests of others above my own. This is drawn from a variety of places, but the key verse that we really use is Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. And it's a verse that talks about uh, not doing things for our own just selfish gain or selfish ambition so we can get ahead, but helping others with their goals in life. And so we make a commitment here. We're not perfect at it, but we ask uh, our church family to practice this in their lives and in their relationships, helping put other people's interests ahead of their own. That's a difficult practice to do over time, isn't it? You can say, yeah, it is. <laughs> practice two is, is live an honest, open life before others. And we typically want to kind of hide behind a mask, some, someone we present on the outside. And then, and so what this is, is it's, we aim to uh, have the, the outside be an accurate reflection of what's going on on the inside. We want people to, to really know who we are. It doesn't mean that everyone here knows everybody's stuff. What it means is that I allow people, some people, to get close to me and I, I let them know who I really am. And this is primarily drawn, we draw this from Ephesians chapter 4 and the, the type of, uh, uh, the need for uh, honest and open relationships and taking falsehood off. And, and, you know, the default for us is to cover things up or to lie and to kind of uh, fudge on things. But this is to actually deal uh, honestly in our relationships with one another. The third practice is this. It's to give and receive scriptural correction. This idea, uh, we draw the verse from, we draw this practice from Hebrews 3, verse 13, which, which talks about uh, how... How deceitful we are, and our hearts really are, that we can get, uh, become very quickly unaware of blind spots, areas in our life that become, we, we move towards sin, we get off track, and we develop these blind spots, and we open ourselves up for all sorts of hurts in life. And so this is the freedom we give to one another to be able to speak into each other's lives, both to give correction and to receive correction when that is needed. And I, I would encourage you to check those messages out on our website or our podcast so you can see what we've been looking at. Uh, these, are, these are three of seven, uh, we call them our heart attitudes, but these are our core values that we, we practice here. And we commit to, the members of our church, we commit to, uh, to grow in these and we aim to live these out. Here's the fourth practice. It's actually clear up relationships. And... In sports, and we, we've been tying this to a lot of sports and having a lot of fun with that. We've shown a lot of different clips. Last, last week we showed some really exciting football hits. So if you're a football fan, you missed some really good football hits. But this one, we've got a baseball analogy this morning. Uh, in, in sports, but in baseball, oftentimes we give up far too soon and we miss out on the benefit 
of this practice. You know, the team is, is your team, your favorite team can be so far behind in a game that it just seems impossible for them to come back. And so you decide as a fan to go home from the game. Uh, if you've paid a lot of money to go to the stadium to see your favorite team and you put on your favorite jersey if you're a Giants fan, I know a lot of you are not Giants fans, but I am. And so for you, your Dodger fans, your Angels fans, right? Where are the Dodger fans? Okay. We have any Angels fans? Okay, so you put on your, your new jersey, you got a new hat, you go to the ballpark, you pay for the premium parking so you know you can get to the hot dog line faster, and, and you buy a Dodger dog, and you get, you know, you get some garlic fries, and you get a really good seat, and then the, the, your team just, they're, they're stinking it up out there, and they, they're tanking, and so you decide, seventh inning, there's no way we're coming back, we're going home. And you're, you, you head home a little, you know, early because statistics would say at a certain point, it's probably impossible to come back from some, uh, gaps on the scoreboard. And so, a lot of times that's the case. You wanna, you wanna get home, you don't wanna be stuck in traffic in the parking lot trying to fight traffic, and so you decide to go home. Now for a lot of us that, that have done that, we've missed out on some things. But there's always those fans that, you know, some of you probably are like, I paid my money, I put on my jersey, I'm going to see this thing through, I'm a diehard fan, and I'm hoping for a miracle, I want to see a comeback, right? Some of you are shaking your head. Well, here's a memorable comeback moment for the Dodgers, okay? Now, this hurts my heart as a Giants fan to show this clip, but the year was 1988. Some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. Uh, some of you all just... Fill you in on the story. The Dodgers were facing the Oakland A's in 1988, the World Series Game 1. The Dodgers were losing. Uh, the A's were up 3-2. to two. It's the bottom of the ninth. So for the non-baseball fans, that means it's the last chance that the Dodgers have to come back. Uh, the, the tying run is on first base. The potential winning run, the batter steps into, uh, into the batter's box. His name is Kirk Gibson. He was injured. And you're going to see this video and it's kind of recapping what I'm telling you. So, again, if you're not familiar with the story, I'm telling you, because you'll hear it again, so you can follow the story. This is like the ultimate comeback opportunity. He's down, or they're down, and they need him to deliver something, to at least tie the game, knock, you know, move the runner to, to, get, into, uh, to, to get the runner to score. But he does kind of the unbelievable thing, and he's injured. He hasn't been playing through the postseason uh, because of his injury. And so... Also, he's facing like one of the most dominant pitchers of those days, Dennis Eckersley. So I had an a, an, a big Oakland A's fans in, in here last service, and he was just like, oh, you had to bring it up. This is. <laughs> so here, here's, the, here's the clip. Great comeback. Dodgers manager Tommy Lasorda thought he'd be without NL MVP Kurt Gibson for Game 1 of the 1988 World Series due to injuries to both legs, further limiting the Dodgers' chances against the powerful Oakland Athletics. But Gibson told Lasorda he might have one good swing left as a pinch hitter. In the bottom of the ninth, down by one, with two outs and a man on, he limped to the plate looking to make a difference. Against all-star relief ace Dennis Eckersley, Gibson connected, and it became one of the greatest moments in the game's history. Gibson swings and a fly ball to deep right field. She is gone! Unbelievable! I don't believe what I just saw! It was his only contribution to the series, but Gibson's game-changing swing helped power the Dodgers to the World Series crown. Now, you don't have to be ashamed if you've ever pulled that off. You know, you did that. 
Because I know exactly why you're doing that. You know, that was kind of an unlikely comeback moment right there in sports. And for some of you Dodger fans, that's one of the ultimates for you. That's a great moment in baseball. Now, coming back in sports, it's, it's again, there's these stats that say this shouldn't happen. Now, that's, that's pretty possible. You know, there's, there's a runner on, and they got a power hitter at the plate. But sometimes the gap is so far, you know, gone. You know, the team is so far gone, it just seems impossible. So you probably would head home at a certain point. In relationships, I think this is where it ties. In relationships, you know, you get in a situation where you get offended and hurt at someone and what you hoped for would be, you know, this sweet and fulfilling friendship or relationship. It turns sour and now you've got to make a choice. Do I, do I leave this relationship? Do I, do I just move on and, 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 and head out of here? I walk away or do, or do I hang in there and try to work it out with this person? Do I try to clear up this relationship? It's actually quite normal in relationships for things to just go wrong. It's, it's kind of a myth that you're going to have trouble-free relationships. Uh, so sometimes we maintain, we think, oh, I'm looking for that trouble-free. That, that just does not exist because we all struggle in different ways. And so we offend each other. And the typical response is to just write the other person off and, and give up. What we aim to do here as, as a congregation is we aim to practice this clearing up relationships. Now, if you'd like, you can pull this uh, handout out of the program and follow along. We're going to walk through this. This is a lengthy handout because I'm going to provide three scenarios. So there's a lot more on this handout than there typically would be. And we're going to move rather quickly through it. But I want to highlight some things out of the scripture. Making peace in relationships, it leads to a lot of things. So first of all, it leads to God's blessing in your life. It, it's easy to get offended. It's easy to refuse to forgive. And then begin to rehearse in your heart that hurt and that hurt can turn to bitterness. And that bitterness, if, if you don't watch it, bitterness will turn into hatred. Hatred. And none of that really requires much effort on our part. But whenever you make peace with someone, there's a kind of blessing, God's favor. It, it comes on your, on your life. So Jesus actually said this about in, in his Sermon on the Mount. He said, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. That this actually rests on the peacemakers. God's, God's favor, His blessing rests on those who set their hearts and their focus and make it a practice to aim for peace. This is not easy. Now, being a peacemaker, it's a source of, 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 ref, of delight and of refreshment. Whenever there's offense, it just kind of eats away at you on the inside. And the opposite is true as well. When you make peace, there is a sweetness to it. There's a delight that comes. Psalm 133, verse 1. The psalmist writes this. How good and pleasant it is when brothers live together in unity. This is not just talking about siblings. This is actually... It's talking about the family of God. When brothers live together in unity. Brothers and sisters in the family of God. Now, the Hebrew word for, for pleasant can also be translated. In fact, it is translated in other places in the Old Testament as sweet. And so there really is a sweet delight that, that we can experience through making peace. This passage goes on in verse 3. It says, It is as if the dew of Hermon, this is a big mountain, were falling on Mount Zion. For there the Lord bestows his blessing, even life forevermore. But this, this, just to give you some context here, the mountains surrounding Jerusalem... Hermon was this larger mountain near the Mediterranean Sea. And, and 
You know, this morning was a cold morning, so you'd see you, we saw dew. If you got up early enough, you'd see you know moisture on the ground from the moisture that's in the air. And when you have that dew, it's sort of a refreshing, crisp experience for us. It's it's and it's actually like today was great, wasn't it? How many of you thought, oh, how nice a break from the heat? Well, during the summer months in Israel, in the areas of Israel. The rains just did not fall, but the air was still heavy with moisture from the Mediterranean Sea that was nearby. And so whenever the nighttime came, some of these mountains, these large mountains, would collect dew. And then when the sun came up in the morning, the dew would fall from those mountains and water the ground, and the crops would be watered. And so this was what would be needed for the summer months for these people and their livelihood. And whenever there's harmony in our relationships with one another, it brings this... Refreshment. It brings this good, sweet delight. And something else that, if you're a peacemaker, is that there's, there's a future in your life with, with good things. I mean, that's what James talks about. James chapter 3, verse 18. Peacemakers who sow in peace, if you sow seeds of peace, if you aim for peace, you raise a harvest of righteousness. These people are doing life in such a way that, that it just causes good things to sprout up in their lives what comes up is, is, is good stuff. That's what James says. Another thing happens with peace is it leads to a clear conscience. Uh, we don't often think about this issue, but a clear conscience is something that, that is a key in life. It's a key to loving God and loving people. Paul was a man who was a first century church starter, and he, he's uh, writing a letter to a young church leader named Timothy. And he writes this to Timothy. He writes to him, The goal of this command is love. Which come, that love comes from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. And the love that Paul's describing, certain kind of love, it's the kind of love that Christ displayed. It's called agape love. And that type of love is a, it's a very sacrificial love towards other people. But that kind of love, if you want to love people like Christ loved, that grows out of keeping a pure heart, keeping a good, clear conscience, and having, holding on to a sincere faith. Now, you know, if your conscience is not clear towards people, you stay away from them. If you, if you don't have a clear conscience towards someone, you stay away from them. It's actually very hard at that point to love them. And there's actually a barrier between you and them. And you, we know this when our conscience is not clear. Also, a clear conscience helps you avoid spiritual disaster. So making peace keeps your conscience clear. That helps you with all sorts of things. Paul later writes to Timothy this, Timothy, my son, I give you this this instruction in keeping with the prophecies once made about you. People had, had, spiritual leaders had confirmed that Timothy was called to to lead in ministry, he was qualified for that role. And so Paul is giving him a charge and he, he says, so that by following them, you may fight the good fight, holding on to faith and a good conscience. Again, here it is, keep a good clear conscience. He says, some have rejected these. They've let go of these things. And so have shipwrecked their faith. Now, if you live long enough in life, if you live long enough, you will see people who, whose consciences have been seared. They no, they no longer care about Keeping a clear conscience between God or between other people. Their conscience, if you live long enough, you'll see people whose consciences are cleared, or seared, and, and their lives, 
just are disastrous. It's, it's like a shipwreck, Paul describes. And so Paul states this about his own life in Acts 24. He says about himself, Paul writes, So I strive always to keep my conscience clear before God and men. He wants to stay, stay soft. He wants to hear from God. He wants to have fellowship with God and with people. He wants to be right. It's pretty much impossible, though, to walk through this world without offending people. It's not going to happen. Don't think, man, I'm a horrible person. I keep offending people. You're, you're normal. Some people are just easily offended, right? Some people are a little easier to offend. But most of the time, we're just prone towards behavior that is really hurtful and offensive. And often, those who experience the most hurt from us are those who are the closest to us. Again, often those who are, are most hurt you know, by us are those closest to us. Why, why is that? It's, it's, it's simply because they're in close range. <laughs> they're in close range. They're in range of being hurt. And so husbands hurt wives and wives hurt husbands. Family members hurt family members. Friends hurt friends. Why? Because they're in close range. And this is just what we struggle with. This is normal. Hurt occurs. And in the world's way of thinking, hurt is enough to just end the relationship and move on. I'm done with them. There's no chance we're going to come back from this. There's no chance that this can be recovered. It's, it's a lost cause. I'm headed home. I'm headed out of here. But Jesus actually calls us to live differently. Jesus told us this. He told us to reconcile relationships. Look at these two passages from Jesus. In Luke 17, verses 3 and 4. Jesus, write, Jesus he, he said, So watch yourselves. If your brother sins... Meaning, you know, if your brother sins against you, rebuke him. We don't often use the word rebuke, but basically tell them what they've done wrong. That's what that means, okay? If your brother sins, rebuke rebuke him. And if he repents, meaning he acknowledges the wrong that he did, forgive him. If he sins against you seven times in a day, okay, wrap your mind around that for a moment. If he sins against you seven times in a day and seven times comes back to you and says, I repent. Forgive him. Seven times, Jesus? Doesn't that seem a little unreasonable? Really? Seven times i got to keep forgiving? Yeah. I mean, if someone offends us, Jesus says we're supposed to tell them, hey, I've been offended. But what we tend to do is we tend to say nothing, and then we hate them. And so it looks like this. They walk by us and say, hey, how you doing? And we say, Fine. We keep walking. I hate you. (laughs) You may not say it, but we think it. We say fine. I hate you. Instead, what Jesus is saying, we're to tell people in humility, hey, I've been offended. And if they repent, we forgive them and we have peace again in the relationship. We're reconciled. Reconciled is the idea of bringing two broken things back together. You're bringing them back together. We do this because God has forgiven us so many more times than we know and can count. And he calls us to offer forgiveness. And Jesus also said this, Matthew 5, verses 23 and 24. This is actually the key verses that we use to, to build this core value. Verse 23, back up one verse, please. Uh, Therefore, if you're offering your gift at the altar, you're, you're at worship, 
And there you remember that your brother has something against you. You're about to go to worship, you're about to go to church, you're about to give an offering, and there you remember your brother has something against you. Leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to your brother. Then come and offer your gift. Jesus places a huge priority on being clear in our relationships with one another. If you offend others, he says, you go to them, you get it straightened out so that you can be reconciled. Now this is for people of all ages. And if this is not the norm of the culture that you're used to, then you sort of get taken back by a practice like clear up relationships. It's kind of like, whoa, that was different. I don't know what to do with that. And they came to clear something up with me. But we're actually called to this standard. Now, some of you are college students, and you've, you've, you've gotten used to your, your siblings back at home. You've got your, used to your friends back at home. And now you head off to college, and you get assigned a roommate. You know what? You're going to have a chance to put this practice into action within the next month, I guarantee. <laughs> to clear up relationships with your roommates, with people across the hall, or another apartment next door. They're just, the reason why is because there's some new people who are now in close range in your life. New people that are going to get offended or, they, or that may offend you. And you can clear up relationships. So how do we do that? And this is where we're going to kind of jam through this handout. So uh, I want to walk through three scenarios really briefly. But this should help because clearing up relationships can sort of be, it can feel kind of clunky for us if we're not used to it. If you're new to clearing up relationships, again, it's going to feel a little clunky. For some of you, this is not new. You've offended a lot of people. (laughs) And and you've learned how to make things right as well. (laughs) You've practiced clearing up relationships, which is a good thing. And so some of you, you know this process really well. The more people relate to, the more people you're going to have to, you know, you'll practice this with. Now, C.S. Lewis, he said this. He said, we all agree that forgiveness is a beautiful idea until we have to practice it. It's not easy. So always start here. Start with prayer. Pray for God's help. Before we look at these scenarios, first thing always, just ask God for help. Why, Why would you do that? Why should I pray for God's help? God already knows what I need. Yes, that's true. He does know what you need, but he also likes it when you ask him. And so we're instructed in Scripture to ask God for help. So don't don't bypass that step. Ask him for help. Next, take initiative. That actually belongs to you. Once you realize in your mind that there's an issue with someone, uh, take initiative. So here's the first scenario. Scenario number one is this. If they offended you, they offended you, then here's some steps. Ask to talk to them privately. Don't do this in a group. You know, as we're leaving, we're going to grab some coffee after service. Ten people around. Don't say, hey, we got to clear something up. <laughs> and there's five, ten people around. You mean now? Yeah, right now. <laughs> Don't do it that way. Talk to them privately. Don't do it in front of a group of pre- people. And perhaps say something like this, or in your own words. Maybe, hey, something happened that really hurt me. Or you did this and it hurt in this way. Or you can ask the question, did I mistake what occurred there? And sometimes, you know what? We do. I I often, I assume something and I realize, you know what? There's nothing there. And and I must, you know, thanks for straightening that out. There was a misunderstanding there. We easily make mistakes, so just check it out. And then you could just, you can also just set a boundary. I ask you to not do that again. If someone was hurtful towards you, I, I just, you did this, I ask you to not do that again. That really hurt. That's really helpful for us when people are clear. When, and sometimes we don't realize some of the things we do are offensive. 
So it's helpful. It's loving. But again, this feels a little clunky. And that's okay. Now, if they ask forgiveness, so you said, hey, you hurt me, and they say, you know what? I am sorry. Would you forgive me for this and that? Forgive them. And here's what forgiveness means. Forgive means to release them from the responsibility. You're clearing them of that debt. They no longer owe you that anymore. There's no longer a need for forgiveness. So if you forgive them, that's I, I clear you. I release you from that responsibility. I'm not going to hold you accountable anymore. Now you do that and say, I forgive you, before your emotions feel like that. You, you, you forgive people before your emotions actually feel like that. And your emotions will follow, but first you need to forgive. This is really more a matter of the will, because I'm not going to hold you responsible any longer. If you forgive, you're making a commitment to not hold a grudge. So don't go back and keep rehearsing the pain and the hurt. It's kind of like this quote right here. To heal a wound, you need to stop touching it. How many times have you said that to your kid? Stop touching it. It's bleeding. Well, stop touching it. It hurts. Stop touching it. One of my mentors, he actually spoke a great deal about this principle. He talks about how with our grudges, and I'm going to share a story he shared. He said, with our grudges, whenever we're hurt by someone, we're deeply hurt and offended by someone. We sort of develop a grudge and we, we kind of tuck it away in a closet. It's like we tuck it away in a closet in our house. And whenever we remember that hurt, it's like we walk over to the closet, we open up the door, and we start petting the grudge. And we feed it a little bit, and we rehearse it, and we, and we feed it, and it grows a little bit because we're feeding it. And, and, and then we shut the door. We don't take it with us, but we remember the pain. And it's in, the, it's in the closet over there. Occasionally it comes up in our mind and we remember the pain. And we walk, walk back over to the closet. We open up the closet. And we, we, we pet it a little more. It grows a little more. We feed it. It gets bigger. And we, we you know, shut the door and we walk away. And we, we kind of go through this cycle. We remember the pain. And we, you know, we go back and forth. And it just keeps growing, this grudge. And it's, it's growing and more. And what happens is whenever you forgive someone, you actually deal with the grudge differently. You deal with it differently. When you truly forgive someone, it's, it's like you go back to the closet, you open up the door, and bang! You shoot the grudge in the head. <laughs> it might take two shots. But you shoot it in the head, and it's, it's actually done with. Now, this is not forgive and forget. That's a popular idea in our culture forgive and forget but your memory is really good and so you do not forget often the hurts but you can forgive and release that person from the responsibility of that hurt and the offense you can forgive them and if you can forgive you can walk on with people in relationships not just for days and months but you if you can learn to forgive people you can actually walk on in relationships for decades with people and that is a sweet thing this can set you free There's a sweetness. So why drag that grudge along with you into the future? Stop touching the wound. Forgive. Now, there may be more going on in your life, and and that may seem 
too simplistic for you, I would encourage you to talk to a leader. Talk to, talk to one of our staff members. If you need to work through the hurt, then we want to help you with that. But forgive. And if they get angry, here's another point. If they get angry at you for bringing this up, forgive them. Maybe you've tried everything on your end and they still get angry. You still forgive. Don't drag this into the future. Now here's another scenario on the back. Scenario number two, if you offended them, confess it again to the offended one or the offended ones or not to others. So if it's to an individual or a group, clear it up with that person or to that group. Again, ask to talk to them privately. Maybe say something like this. Say, what I did, or when I did so and so, it was sin. Will you forgive me? Don't say, we tend to want to say, you know, I was just a little bit off. I was having a bad day, and we justify, and we justify. It was just, it was rough. It's been rough lately, and don't do that. Just, just, the word sin is a short word. We can use it. I sinned. Would you forgive me? And then make needed restitution. What I mean is this. Let's say you borrow something from someone and you never did give it back, or you never did pay it back. Don't, you don't just go to that person and say, God showed me that I didn't return what I borrowed. Forgiveness is actually not a substitute for, for making it right. So you need to make restitution. Instead, if God shows you anything like that from the past, figure out how to make it right and go back to that person. Make it right. Ask their forgiveness. That's what it means to make restitution. That will clear it up. Now, if they forgive you, thank them. If they won't forgive you, ask them why they won't. And maybe there's more to the story. Maybe you have really done more damage. Or maybe there's something else going on. So explore it further with them. But if they simply will not forgive, which sometimes happens, um, forgive them for not forgiving you. Don't don't harbor a grudge towards them and, and carry that around. Go your way. Leave that matter to God. The reality is, at that point, your conscience is clear and you are free Romans 12, verse 18. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, do, do, do everything you can do on your end. As far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. From your side of it, it needs to be taken care of. And some people won't let it go. Some people draw tremendous energy and power from unforgiveness in their lives. They just won't let it go. But on your end, just deal with it rightly before the Lord. Aim to get us straightened out with them. One final scenario is this. If you're just unsure of offense, maybe you see a scowl on their face and you think, oh, I think there's something up here. Um, check it out with them. People do this with me all the time. I walk around a little bit with a scowl on my face. I think I squint and then I think a lot when I'm walking. And so people will say, are you angry at me? And I'm like, no. <laughs> Why would you say that? <laughs> Well, you're, you look angry. Oh, you're right, I am. I, I do. I am. <laughs> I do. And so I'm working on, oh, walking around with a little more of a smile on my face, you know? Because I think, and I, when I think, I, but sometimes, check, just check it out. Check it out with someone. Don't jump to the conclusion and assume there's something there. If you're unsure, just say, hey, I wondered if, you, if I've hurt you in some way. Have I? If not, Thank them. Maybe it was just something they ate. Maybe they need glasses. Maybe they're, you know, and they're squinting because of that. Uh, if yes, then ask how and walk through that process. Confess sin. Ask forgiveness. Thank them for forgiving you.
Now, if others ask forgiveness, this is key. Give it. Give it. You need to give forgiveness when people ask you. Jesus told a story about a person who was a servant who worked for a rich man. And this, this master, this rich man, forgave this servant a huge debt that was owed to him. He forgave him of the debt. Later, that servant goes and has his own servants, and he starts harshly demanding payment from his servants. You need to pay me back your debts. And he starts treating them harshly. Now, this is what Jesus said. Then the master called that servant in and he said, You wicked servant. I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have mercy, have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? And it says, in anger, his master turned him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. And then Jesus has this thought-provoking statement here. Now this is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother from your heart. When we refuse to forgive, it's a very serious matter. When we refuse to forgive, we open up the door to all sorts of problems in our lives that can create a world of hurt and pain. Internally, he, when, he's, when he, Jesus is giving this parable, he's talking about you know, the, the person being handed over to the jailer and tormented and tortured. This is a very serious issue, unforgiveness. You and I, we need to forgive one another. We need to keep working at the area of clearing up relationships. This is just a lifelong journey here on planet Earth for us, isn't it? And we want to encourage you to do that. Understand this final thing. Rebuild trust. You've got to rebuild trust. When you offend, when you hurt someone, rebuild trust. It takes a while. People are going to be a little hesitant around you if offense and forgiveness has occurred, but it can be rebuilt. And here's how. It's Proverbs 16, verse 6. Through love and faithfulness, sin is atoned for. That's how you rebuild trust. Love and faithfulness. Do what's loving towards them and just keep doing it. How long? Well, as long as it takes. Just keep doing what's loving and be faithful in that. Over time, things will be right between you and them. Trust will grow. It just takes time for things to heal. So I hope this has been a help to you. I realize we've covered a lot of ground in a pretty short period of time. But this is a real critical part of church life here. And just our aim to be clear with one another. And Jesus said that this is his way. And it really works. And so this creates a very different, sweet environment here. So as we wrap up and our worship team joins me up here on the stage, would you consider taking action in your own life? And look at some of these next steps. You can bring all three of those up. Take initiative to clear things up with so-and-so. Maybe God brought to your mind someone in your life or refuse to harbor bitterness any longer towards so and so and begin working to rebuild trust so take take action in your own life uh, before we pray uh, i just want to thank the lord for how uh, how we as a congregation have worked together towards increasing the amount in our building and expansion fund throughout this summer uh, about 12 weeks back we we set a, a very ambitious goal uh, to grow our building expansion fund. And we currently have, it says in your program, 261000 in that fund. There's actually $266,000 that have been given so far. And that is, that is to be celebrated. And it's very exciting as a congregation to see people giving so sacrificially and generously above and beyond our regular uh, tithes and offerings. And so every time we step out in faith,
What we're doing is we're heading out into the unknown. And so for those of you who have given sacrificially towards this, uh, you took a bold step to give without sight. Because again, we don't. this is for the future building and expansion. We don't know when that's going to be. That could be several years down the road. But you, you chose to give uh, by faith. And so we, we just want to encourage you. We've made major progress in preparing for the future. Uh, this is... The first time we've set such a massive goal, and I don't have an oracle, in case you're wondering, how does it work? How do you set goals as a pastor? Well, I don't, I don't have an oracle, okay, that told me to set a, a huge lofty goal. Uh, that was really based on many conversations with lenders and bankers, and, and so as, as your pastor, I'm still learning about how to set faith goals, and I'm really, really excited to see what has come in as a congregation. And I really am eager to see how God will continue to provide. We want to be people who step out in faith and at the same time trust God to provide in ways that we can't see. And so would you continue to pray for our efforts in that? This is a major chapter. Uh, We now have major leverage uh, towards future opportunities that come now because now there's money saved up in the bank uh, to be able to buy up future opportunities. And so it certainly is not the last chapter. We're going to continue to store up and save for that, uh, whatever God has in store for a future building for us. So this, in case you're new to OCC, this is a space that we rent from the city of Riverside. And so we've met here for 10 years, and it's become clear that we should pray and continue to look for more future or a more visible and permanent place for us that would open up more opportunities for ministry. And so let's pray and let's thank the Lord for what has come in. Father, we're very grateful for seeing the uh, just the, the sacrificial giving through this summer. And we praise you, Father, for uh, what you have done. We pray your blessing, God, that you bless those who gave uh, at a great sacrifice. And, Father, this church has... Uh, just over and over stepped up in, in, in ways like this, whether it be for major Christmas offerings or uh, major efforts to advance your mission or to support work uh, overseas, Lord. And, and in this, Lord, this is, a, again, it's very difficult to give towards something that is unseen. And it's, it's also we don't have the pressure of a deadline. But, Father, I just thank you for what has been given. And we're excited, God. Um, to see your hand in this and the way you've moved through this. We pray you'd bless these gifts and multiply them and grow them, Father. Um, Lord, we pray we would uh, continue on, press on towards uh, just growing that fund to a place where we can buy up whatever opportunity you may send, Lord, in the future. Thank you for gathering us here this morning, helping us to take a look at a very, very challenging area. We pray that we would take it, uh, take it home and really work through this further and take the steps that you've asked us to take this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks so much for joining us today. We pray you've been encouraged by the message and equipped to move forward in obedience to God's word. Join us again next week for another Orange Crest Community Church podcast.